What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the program once again. If this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Friday. And if you want to help support the podcast in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking the five stars, writing review. You just say a few nice words. That's all it takes. And uh, that will help propel the podcast into the tops of the iTunes charts and uh, will help make the podcast more visible on a national and international level, help strangers find the podcast and... uh, just a great way to contribute to the sustainability of this thing and like i said it's it's free it's free to do it i appreciate the hell out of the folks that have already taken the time i know there's over a hundred reviews on there and uh i appreciate that very much and uh you can also check out the dan cable presents youtube channel and hit that with the subscribe and there's a bunch of in-studio performances and live show performances and uh a short documentary on a band called tribe mars up there as well but uh those itunes reviews man i can't stress the importance of those enough and uh how much they uh how much they mean to uh growing this this podcast so so please if you have a few minutes take the time to do so we got a killer episode in store episode 176 my friend chris frank is on the show and uh I'm really stoked to share this conversation that we had. It's it's uh it's always cool when I get to just have a uh somebody that is uh that I'm really familiar with and we just get to kind of hang out and uh and and have a conversation and have the opportunity to uh you know, just get to new get to know this dude a little bit more. So, episode 176 is coming at you momentarily. I uh, just want to shout out a few calendar dates. If you're listening to this on release day, we've got a killer jazz show going on at the library tonight with James Powers, who has been mentioned uh, in the last episode. He gets uh, a couple mentions in this episode as well because he plays in Frank's band. And uh, yeah, so that's going on on the 23rd. And on the 24th, the next night, is uh, this double vinyl album release party going on at Mississippi Pizza for the Frank Irwin Quintet remix album of their the first record that they put out called Better Broken. And uh, there is now a remix record available on all the streaming services, but also a double vinyl release of, of an album that has been completely remixed by some of the coolest producers in uh in the city of portland oregon and uh, a lot of folks that have been on the show before which is very cool but uh yeah and that's that's a big reason why why we're doing this this episode this week with chris frank this is all his uh all his vision and uh his ambition coming to life and now he's got this double double vinyl album release party going on this saturday 
August 24th at Mississippi Pizza, who's been such a big fucking supporter of this podcast, which is really cool. So shout out to Mississippi Pizza for throwing down some sponsorships in the past for this thing. Um, not only a cool music venue, but also one of my favorite places in town to get pizza. So um, that's going on on the 24th. And then a free show this Sunday, Brother Not Brother, is playing at Growler's Tap Room on the patio. Um, that's August 20, 25th. On this Sunday at the hot, like as soon as the Hawthorne Street Fair is over, they'll be uh, they'll be doing their thing at uh, over there at Growler's Tap Room for about two hours from six to eight. So that's free. Just come out to that. Lots of other shows going on. Um, follow me on all the social medias, and uh, I will try to keep you posted on things that uh, things that I got going on or uh, other shows that. I think are very cool going on in town, but uh, definitely can't stress this uh, this Frank Irwin uh, quintet album release party is going to be really dope over at, at Mississippi Pizza. There is so many awesome artists on on the uh, on the bill, and they're all people that are a part of uh, the remix album. So there's going to be not only the Frank Irwin quintet doing their their they're jazz tunes, you know, in that form. But then they're also going to uh, have some beat sets by some folks. And um, Brown Calculus is also playing. The amazing Brown Calculus is on the bill. So this thing is stacked out, man. That's where I'm going to be on August 24th. Um, and I hope to uh, hope to see some of you over there. But... Uh, I'm going to put all the links in the episode notes so you can follow along with uh, with M- Mr. Chris Frank and uh, the Frank Irwin Quintet and whatnot and uh, all the links to the albums. But, uh, yeah, they're both available on the streaming services out there. And this was a, a very fun hang and killer conversation that I got to have with Chris. Little, little did... Uh, Chris and I know we we would end up kind of spending the day together. It was kind of like it's kind of this nice little uh you know like mandate that we went on. Um we did the podcast and then we both were heading over to the Montevilla Jazz Festival and uh we ended up after the podcast getting getting a pizza before the Jazz Fest. Chris took me to pizza. He wined and dined me. And we went to the jazz festival and hung out. And then, and then this guy asked me if I want to go to the Timbers match after. And I said, yes, sir. And, and that's what we did. So spent the whole, whole day with this guy. It was a full Chris Frank day experience. And, uh, it was, it was super fun. Guy gave me his extra ticket to the Timbers. What a, what a guy, what a guy. My first, first timbers match too that wasn't a preseason one so that was killer the the timbers uh soccer experience is uh is pretty great it was a lot of fun i enjoyed it quite a bit um so yeah shout out shout out to chris frank for uh giving me the uh full day experience out here and uh yeah man this dude's one of my favorite musicians in town um, he joined me for episode 100 
as a part of the Pariah's crew. You can find those videos up on the YouTube channel. You see Chris getting gnarly on the uh, on the stand-up bass there, the upright. And uh, this dude just, uh, I don't know. I've never seen somebody bring so much uh, percussion to uh, the stand-up bass the way that... Uh, the way that Chris does. So it's, uh, it's very cool. And, and as we talk about in this episode, there are so many amazing musicians and, uh, musical minds that took part in the, uh, the recreation of this, uh, this better broken record that the Frank Irwin quintet made that is now the, uh, the broken beats remix album. So we're gonna, um, I want to kick it off with, a uh, a song a tune off of the the better broken record the regular one the original version of uh of a song called neighborhood raccoons and then uh later in the episode we'll check out like a remix episode uh remix version of that rather as well as another tune off the broken beats album um but hopefully this gives you just a little bit of context for um you know what these remixes kind of look like and whatnot by uh showing you one of the original versions of a tune so we're gonna get into it episode 176 is coming at you please don't forget to leave your itunes reviews super important to the growth of this thing can't stress it enough at dan cable presents on instagram is where you can find me and and follow where i'm most active at dan cable presents uh at gmail.com. Oh, I guess it's not at, but if you want to send an email, it's dancablepresents at gmail.com. And the uh, central location for everything is dancablepresents.com. Okay? You got all that? We're doing it. All the links in the episode notes. Episode 176. Oh, yeah. I got to mention one thing before we get in. Um, when we're at the soccer match, Chris mentioned to me that he didn't think that I was uh, a Harry Potter fan. And I said, why would you assume something like that? And he said that he dropped several Harry Potter references in this episode. And I just did not pick up on it. And, uh, and that's right because I've, I've not really seen any of the Harry Potter. I've seen the first movie. I don't remember it. It was a long time ago. So, uh, I'm sorry if that disappoints any of you, uh, any of you listeners out there that I'm not I'm not part of the uh the Harry Potter fandom or whatever it may be, whatever that that world is. Um uh, your goddamn witchcraft, huh? Is that what you're trying to do? Witchcraft? Anyway, 176, episode 176. Chris Frank's on the show. We're kicking it off with a jam from the Frank Irwin Quintet off of their uh debut record called Better Broken. This is one of my favorite tracks off the record. It's called Neighborhood Raccoons. Let's do the damn thing.
Chris Frank, you ready to you ready to do the damn thing? I'm ready. Ready to dive into this uh all this madness? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Um Yeah man. Stoked to uh stoked to hang and, and, and talk about all the music. All the music. Uh you're you're a veteran of the of the program, you know? You were on episode one hundred, a, a monumental episode that's true. you were that's a part true. of with the uh the uh, the pariahs rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I've uh, I've gotten to see your your jazz your jazz band the last uh, over the last six months or so a couple times and uh, mm-hmm. thoroughly enjoyed the performances as I as I expected um, oh, thanks, to man. do. You've uh, you're definitely one of uh, my favorite musicians to go watch. You know, not Sweet. to not to uh, you know make you blush here. In my, <laughs> I'm not trying to put the moves on you in my apartment or anything. <laughs> but uh, seriously, man, you you bring an energy to the stage that is so exciting to to watch. And uh, so it's it's been fun getting to see like the Frank Irwin Quintex. I know that that's like your shit like you're the band leader yeah, yeah and uh i don't know it seemed like you you had quite a bit of to do with like compositions with the prize and and whatnot too and and more of like maybe an equal collaboration yeah absolutely but uh yeah it's just been fun to watch watch what you do with the jazz band and and uh just seeing you you as the leader and whatnot i think it it seems to uh to fit well for you yeah, that was the that was kind of the whole idea of the quintet. Um, in that uh, I've been in so many bands that were kind of equal collaborations, and it can be frustrating sometimes to to um, work with stuff you're not excited about. You know what I mean? Or uh, the prize was an interesting situation because we didn't do a lot of um, kind of critical critical feedback. Right, so if something was pretty much cool, we just went with it, and no one really got in there and like uh, messed with it or, or turned the gears or kind of tightened and loosened things um, as much as in other bands I've been with. And I was like, man, I just you know, I want something that's mine and that I get to do on my terms and don't have to practice every week. You know, you can spend that time uh, composing and kind of uh, picking things apart and changing things on your own rather than like only having two hours from seven to nine on Tuesdays or whatever to like force this, uh, you know, musical, uh, collaboration. Um, I like to be able to do it at midnight or one in the morning yeah. or, you know, uh, outside or whatever the hell I want to do. For sure. You want to wear this? Yeah. Um, I feel, yeah, I feel that man. Like there's definitely a, when it's, when it's kind of a a solo endeavor, it does seem to offer a freedom uh, of doing things like that, mm-hmm. you know, where you don't have to really consult with anybody or you don't have to worry about trying to get together with another yeah. person yeah. to flesh out an idea, you know, and you can you can work on it whenever you want and make those moves. And it's great. It's, it's empowering, I think. Yeah, I mean, you get like, so I'm laying in bed a lot of times. Uh, probably like 11.30 at night and I um, I get something running through and so I pop up, I run out, grab my six-string bass and I got like a little headphone amp and, and some loopers and stuff and then I can just 
run through it, figure out the what the chords are, figure out like the um the harmonies I'm looking for and I scratch it out and then I go crawl back in bed and fall asleep and then like a month later I'll be flipping through my book and be like, Oh, that thing you know, and then I pull it back out, I play it, I'm like, Oh yeah, that was cool and then I can um and then I start writing melodies from there and like building it over time rather than, you know, trying to work off an agenda or uh, like a really like I said, for just forced and kind of time sensitive process, you can really stretch it out. It's nice. Yeah, and not like a rigid schedule of we only have these two hours to be creative. Exactly. Together and there's whatever. like a heavy metal band on the other side of the wall, and like a <laughs> uh, like a shoegaze band across the way, and it's just like you can you can barely even hear yourself think in there, and you're trying to like create something that you're proud of, and and one of those rehearsal spaces is also really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Take me like way back, man. Like, when do you start playing music? Um, I start. I mean, I I started playing the trumpet in third grade, um, and uh, and um, like the first year I played, or maybe it was the second year, I forgot my music, which is like a running theme through my my life. Um, forgot my music, and I had to play this solo, "We Three Kings" at the Christmas concert, right? And I got up there, and in my in my memory, like I nailed it. You know, it was like perfect. But in reality, I'm sure it was uh, pretty sloppy <laughs> stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, but played yeah trumpet in elementary school. Um, both my parents are, are musicians. My father uh, is a trombone player and uh, uh, educator. He taught elementary band and, and high school and college jazz band for years he works at syracuse university now um teaching theory and stuff and um um and my mother is flute player and she uh you know has played in chamber orchestras for years done a little jazz um and so growing up i was always hearing you know them practicing and um and teaching lessons and you know it was like one day a week you just had to sit downstairs and be quiet i was teaching lessons <laughs> yeah um just immersed in that world then yeah and we had a music room uh growing up that had um drums and you know flutes and trombones and trumpets and baritones and a tuba and like just all this musical detritus that my parents had collected of recorders and auto harps and um any instrument maracas and castanets and it's like everything um and so I'd go in there and just pound on stuff and pick things up um, bef- well before I started playing. Um, that was like when I was five or so. Um, but so, yeah, tr- yeah. Go I'm ahead. sorry, you. But like drawn to it on your own, not like your parents, oh, yeah. parents weren't like, no, well, like go in there and then. No, not at all. Stuff. You were just you were just kind of wander. No, and I didn't get like piano lessons or any of that stuff. I didn't. Surprisingly, like somehow I wasn't playing like piano. Uh, which I'm I'm kind of bummed about in retrospect now, but um, I was actually afraid of music, like terribly afraid of music, and at least until I was five. Um, and fireworks and balloons is like my thing, like loud noises and music was part of that. So, one of my like little stories about my childhood, my father decided he was going to cure my fear of music by like sitting me down in front of his stereo and playing me this classical music right and <laughs> the album he chose to play as all you know on vinyl i remember kind of the setup of the house and where the where the record player was and um he decided to play stravinsky's right of spring and just it didn't really occur to him or whatever how 
dissonant and loud and terrible that piece is to play, you know, it's just like, boom, 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 you know, and I <laughs> freaked out and lost it like three minutes <laughs> in and uh, he felt kind of sheepish. But um, yeah, he'd bring, he brought a gong home once from school and thought that me like playing the gong would, you know, <laughs> help. It was like exposure therapy. Uh, but uh, I ended up just hiding in my bedroom and like <laughs> wouldn't come back out until he moved. It. Oh, that's amazing! <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, trumpet uh, came up on trumpet. Um, when did you stop being? A, was there a breakthrough? Where you, I don't remember. Okay, I, I don't remember. Um, just eventually you weren't. Yeah, I mean, music. It, I don't know. I don't know where that wall was broken. I remember the the moment that I decided I wasn't afraid of fireworks anymore. Um, and I, I was like 16. I had to sit on my hands. I was like, so I wouldn't plug my ears. Um, and I'm still scared of balloons. So the music came first long ago. Balloons are kind of gnarly, dude. <laughs> yeah, man. They can I, pop at any time. Dude, I have to drive around with them sometimes on deliveries. <laughs> Oof. And every once in a while they pop in the car. Jeez, man. And it's, yeah, it's fucking horrific. Dude. <laughs> and also it's just shocking. Yeah, and absolutely. Uh, yeah, it can definitely be a little distracting. So, um, <laughs> I understand the balloon. Thing, yeah, yeah, know? cool, cool. Um, <laughs> but did you like when you started playing trumpet? Did you take to it pretty quickly? Um, not really. I mean, I practicing was like a chore. I never wanted to practice. Um, it was. Uh, I I liked it well enough. Yeah, I liked it well enough. When when was it that you kind of found something that that you dug enough where you wanted to be kind of devoting your time to an instrument? Oh, um, definitely getting the bass. <laughs> definitely getting the bass. Um, and I started, you know, on Nirvana tunes and the Cranberries and whatever was in the back of like Bass Player magazine or whatever, or Guitar World, um, Hendrix and all that kind of stuff, and just reading tabs and. Um, I think the first time that I ever really like fell in love with it was probably senior year though, where I started uh, transcribing things and like practicing every day and, and that kind of stuff. When did you start playing bass? Seventh grade. Seventh grade. Um, the <laughs> it's a funny story. Um, this cool, like super cool, tall kid with like armpit hair who played on my basketball team was <laughs> named Eric Wolf. Uh, he had moved from like Dallas or something. I was in upstate New York and he had like gang tattoos and stuff. <laughs> he was like, all the ladies were, were into Eric Wolf. But we, I don't know how we got, we became friends and he invited me over to his house and like tried to teach me how to fight and stuff. Like he's like, run at me, man. <laughs> like, stuff like that. <laughs> Just training you. Yeah, no, it was weird. And he had this old like PV Mystic, which if anybody listening knows like shitty 80s guitars is like um it kind of looks like the dime bag daryl signature okay. model guitar it's got like all these sharp cards it's like a bc rich yeah and it's probably like 80 pounds oh yeah man and so he had this you know bitching guitar and was playing me stuff he's like you should get a bass so we can start a band <laughs> i was like okay eric wolf <laughs> so i was like what i'm gonna get say, a eric? hey mom i want a bass it's like <laughs> eric said i need a bass <laughs> Exactly, dude. And then he moved. Like, I've got the bass and he moved. We never actually played together. Um, <laughs> I mean, he was, yeah. Anyway, that's enough about Eric Wolf. But, um, but yeah, my mom got me like a, a really cheap entry level bass out of like her school music catalog, you know, like instrument catalog that she gets as a music teacher. 
one's called a cruise. It was very, you know, like a Japanese P-Base. Um, and uh, then I kind of played just in my bedroom for a year on like alternative music and stuff. Um, then joined the changed in jazz band from trumpet to bass uh, in eighth grade, I think. I was like, I'm a bass player now. I still played trumpet in concert band. Um, and... Yeah, and then um, like joined a cover band in, in early ninth grade with some kids from the neighboring school district. <laughs> yeah. Did you dig ja- uh, playing the the jazz stuff when you tr- when you switched over to bass? Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. I mean, it was like you know pep band kind of music. It wasn't like I guess we did like Send in the Clowns and Autumn Leaves and stuff. So yeah, it was fun. It was cool. And I like got a bass teacher who was a jazz guy, and so I was exposed to it there. And um. Yeah, I eventually dropped the trumpet completely and played like five string bass and concert band playing the tuba parts and stuff, <laughs> uh, which was a bad decision. I should have stuck with the trumpet. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. You ever try to go back and, and fuck with the trumpet? Yeah, I bought one a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, I, uh, it's collecting dust in my living room as we speak. <laughs> no, I pull it out every once in a while. I made a track with it over the, um, actually for the Broken Beats album i like made this track just in my bedroom drumming bass playing trumpet and like hand noises and stuff um but it just it wasn't the it wasn't good enough like the sounds i couldn't capture the sounds as as well as i wanted to with my little bedroom setup so yeah um that one's just sitting but yeah i I like the trumpet i still play when when did you start like tinkering with all that stuff and kind of like producing or composing your own music um high school high school i mean i i like growing up i um when i was in probably third or fourth grade i was really into having a band and writing things and we'd like start these like phony acapella bands with our friends and stuff and like well we were gonna be called the blue bases or whatever <laughs> and you'd like make a song and sing it on the playground and laugh and stuff um but i took a theory class in high school that i had to compose a bunch of stuff for and it was other than just like writing rock songs and and things for my band at the time, I'm like you know, <laughs> Limp Biscuit inspired kind of like rap rock stuff. Yeah, man, it's cool. I you know, that was, I I went through all that too. You know, like it was a it was a time, hard times for sure. Yeah. Um, no, but I wrote yeah I wrote a bunch of stuff for that my cover band and then uh, theory and stuff and went off to college and and did quite a bit of composing. Is that what you went to to school for for music? Kinda, um, I went like undeclared and just eventually started taking all music classes and stuff, and then dropped out before I had to declare a major. Um, but I took five levels of theory and jazz composition and music business, and um, played in the the Solid State Jazz Orchestra there at SUNY Oswego, which was like I mean we went on tour and stuff and recorded albums and. Was, that was like weird uh, weather report fusion type jazz that uh, the musical director was really into like fusion. I fuck uh, with that music. weather report stuff. Yeah. Oh man, Black Market is one of my one of my favorite albums. I gotta. I want to do a cover of that tune with the quintet. Um, is that when you started getting really into jazz? Then during that time. Um. Yeah. Uh, a little bit earlier. Um. Or do you have like a jazz re- revelation that oh, happens absolutely. to you? That, absolutely. Like what? What is uh? What does that kind of look like for you? Where you really immerse yourself in in the jazz? 
Well, there's two things. One's from my mother and one's from my father. So I was going to the CD store. And my, I think my mom was bankrolling it. And I really wanted, I was like into Deftones and Rage at that time. And, and she wasn't in love with my musical taste. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but she's like, all right, I will buy, I wanted like the, the first OzFest compilation Hell CD. Yeah. yeah. With like, yeah. Mm, um, I still remember like the bass drum pattern of that one song. That <laughs> I don't even remember who it is. Like Power Man Five Thousand or something like that. Dude, sometimes I like to uh, to just like put on one of those albums just to like hear what I was even like what was <laughs> going on and and oh, man. and it's it's always very like entertaining. Oh, abs- absolutely. Um, I, I just listened to Around the Fur the other day, which is still one of my favorites, that Deftones record. I Yeah, um, I, I love some of those Deftones uh, records. They hold up. I They're have good. like, yeah, I have that white white pony on wax over here. Ah, <laughs> like that. That's where I fell out. I listened to that one a bit, but then I, I don't think I've heard anything since then. For sure. Um. Anyway, so I was getting this Ozfest record. My mom was like, all right, I'll buy you this record. Or it was a CD. You know, I'll buy you this CD. But you have to go and pick out a, a jazz or classical album. And I'll buy you both, right? And I ended up buying um, just like just on the cover alone, and maybe some Reputation stuff. But I I didn't really even. I guess I knew knew quite a bit by then. But I got the Ellington and Coltrane record, uh, which is still one of my favorite albums, and listened to the Ozfest record, you know, maybe like three or four times. But that Duke Ellington John Coltrane record, I just wore out. Like it just it moves everything. It became like uh, I listened to it every day for quite a while, probably. Um, do, do you remember like what it was about that album that kind of just like blew it open for you? Just the just the opening notes, man. It it's a perfect record in that. Um, I mean, it just sounds beautiful. It's uh, you know two of the greatest musical minds like just thrown down. Um, arguably not Ellington's best work, and I mean it's weird because like half the record is with. Um, Ellington's rhythm section and half the record is with the the Coltrane Quartet rhythm section. So there's like a little disconnected in ways the more I read about it and the more I listen to it. But no, just in a sentimental mood, like the, that opening lick and in a sentimental mood. And I think it's also the, that song is in the um, Spike Lee movie, Mo Betta Blues, in like <laughs> one of the love scenes. And so it just, it had like some cultural points of reference and also it was just gorgeous. And it was easy enough to play along with. Um that I just I got hooked and and then you know I was like Columbia House days so I was ordering just all sorts of jazz and shit off Columbia House or BMG or whatever one I was in at the time. Um, and uh, are you like starting to make a transition at that time of like going home and playing more jazz yourself too, or, or are you still kind of? Yeah, no, I was learning the blues and stuff and playing along to blues records and jazz records um, as much as I was playing along to anything else maybe more at that point, like senior year. And then I went to like a, a base camp at Berkeley um, in, in Boston. And that was kind of revelatory too because I just got deep into into a bunch of jazz I had never heard before and got exposed to stuff. Um, but around that same time for a, I don't know if it was for a birthday present or what, but my father, I, whenever I go to my dad's house, I go down to the basement and finger through his records and like put shit on and stuff. And he kind of like I'd found some gems in there um, like Captain Beefheart, uh, um, Shiny Beast, which is one of my favorite records, and like King Crimson and and all the stuff like that. Jethro Tull, 
and then like, and then like a bunch of uh, you know Ellington and Mangus and stuff like that. So for my my birthday or something, I don't know. He burned me like six CDs with twelve records on it. Should like, we should we pause to explain what burning CDs are to the <laughs> to the kids out there? <laughs> Man, I miss that shit so much. Like it pains me not to have a CD drive on my computer, not being able to like throw mixes together to take in the car and stuff. Playlists are cool or whatever, but. Dude, it used that, to be a labor of love. You had to upload them onto your computer, rip them, and then burn them. And whoa. It was amazing. Yeah. Like when you pulled that CD out of the drive and you mm. knew that you were going to go put that in the car mm-hmm. or in your disc man <laughs> or disc woman. Yeah. You get to like person. <laughs> mark it up with a Sharpie and like make a little card with it and stuff. Yeah. And put yeah. a name on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Soft one, Mix 7. <laughs> I had one called like Junkyard Rabbits. It was <laughs> one of my favorites for Hell a while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was that was the move. Oh, God, that's good. But anyway, yeah, he burned, he burned me like um, a ton of jazz, famous jazz bass players records. So my first Mangus I ever heard was off that pile of stuff, like Slam Stewart, Ray Brown, uh, Jimmy Garrison. Um, I forget, man, who else? Like uh, John Patitucci, just like... Um, all the cool shit that he had, he he ripped up off of there. Um, and so I, I listened to that, and and that's where I caught a hold of Mangus was off of that set of albums. And then I started, I bought another Mangus record, another Mangus record, and he became kind of my my obsession through my twenties. Yeah. Um, and then you're 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 playing in this orchestral jazz band as well. Is that what you said? The oh, the the solid state jazz orchestra. Yeah, yeah, it was like a big band. It okay. was a big band: drums, piano, guitar, bass, and then a fifteen-piece horn section. Did you like doing that type of stuff, where you're just uh, just reading a, charts? Yeah, and, and kind of a piece of a huge band, this huge ensemble. Yeah, absolutely. That was a lot of fun. Um, I lo- I love the jazz band. I like just like the smell of the music room and like you know going to rehearsal and and uh, I miss that a lot. Um, and I love I love reading other people's charts and and just trying to do the best with with that one page of music. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like you uh, to me. Like when I listen to the record or like see the band play, it seems like you do a good job of, uh, or maybe not even a good job, but like you have uh, you appreciate the the structure as much as the creativity. Hmm. Is that like a fair thing to say or? I don't know. It just seems like you, you seem to lean into both, and and uh, like, um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, no. What I what I love about this band, about the those players in particular in this band, is that like I just I'm I'm only responsible for a little bit of what happens on stage, right or on the record. I come up with some melodies and some chords and maybe a, a rhythmic idea as far as like well, the drum should play something like this. Um, and then it's real hands off from there. Like I'm not trying to micromanage a lot of stuff like articulation or, or things like that. I really enjoy opening it up and I still want to hit our transitions and shit. Like I don't want it to devolve anymore. Um, but it's so much of Ian and, and James like choice of what exactly those lines are going to sound like. Um, like neighborhood raccoons that we heard, right? Yeah. That like little right. James plays that like a hundred different ways, and they all sound cool. And so it's up to him to see how he's feeling and like what the room is is doing. 
Um, and he might do like a plunger mute or he might really chop them short or long, you know, really like slide them out. Um, and same with Ian, um, you know, he'll play harmonies off stuff that'll change kind of the whole complexion of the tune when he's feeling it. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's like a, a very natural collaborative process because we don't rehearse a ton. We do like one or two before a gig. And so it's still like we're still experiencing the songs in this cool right. way, you know, and nobody's tired of it. Um, everybody's got fresh ideas. It's, it's uh, yeah, I don't know if I um, got to your question there. But. That keeps it super raw, though, I would imagine, yeah. like doing the, that, that style. Of, of not having a bunch of rehearsals and and I would imagine that's also just the uh, when you play with players on that level that's that's also a very cool thing that you don't have to have a bunch of rehearsals necessarily oh it's amazing like yeah. when you just have a bunch of people that read and mm-hmm. um, when you started getting heavy into the jazz and, and whatnot did you was it kind of hard for you to appreciate other music for a little bit outside of the jazz world yeah absolutely absolutely um i'm still kind of dealing with that actually i went through like um I, I i'm described by others as a snob musically um friends of mine or at least you know they beat around the bush um but there's there's definitely a, a time where like I would have like burned my Rage Against the Machine albums or something, <laughs> you know. Where you're just like really ashamed. Of your, your, Not ashamed, your but it just didn't do time. it for no, me I, anymore, you know. Yeah. Um, and what that was probably, I mean, I was listening to a ton of Mangus and like the Bad Plus and Jason Moran and and all of my my favorite music, um, but. Uh, and not much else. I had like really my rock records were dusty. You know, I like when I moved out here from New York, I like left all my rock records at home or sold them or gave them to friends and only took the jazz and funk <laughs> out. You know? um, but then I got a, I worked at a pizza. I worked at Mississippi pizza when I moved out here. It was like a week after I got here, I got that job and the, the music culture there was incredible. So you had, you worked with like 12 or 15 people and they all had iPods and you just split the time. And so I was like, that's how I got in like Guided by Voices and like uh, Brian Eno and all this like rock, really amazing rock music it got me back into it. Yeah, dude. Similar experience when I moved up here. Um, I was always into a lot of different kinds of music. But uh, when I moved up here, I, I started working at Pizza Cotto like uh-huh. right away. And yeah. it's kind of the same deal. You know, somebody would have control over the tunes and for opening mm-hmm. you know or mm-hmm. closing and uh you start getting exposed to music that you never heard like there was just kind of deep level of like indie music that i had never really gone hard on and oh, yeah. you know getting exposed yeah. to a lot of electronic music that i i never thought i would like and, mm-hmm. and things of that mm-hmm. nature and all of a sudden you know i'm buying records from like lcd sound system <laughs> and i'm fucking like whoa have you heard this like, you know <laughs> modest mouse yeah. what <laughs> yeah but, everybody's uh, like yeah man where you've been yeah, yeah pretty much you know it was like some of the yeah it was just, uh, a similar experience in that way but is it just the the freedom of the nature of, of jazz that 
that kind of steals it for you yeah, the improvisation man yeah absolutely um i'm i'm not the biggest jazz cat at all like i went to this last night i went to the Montville jazz fest like jam session that nicole was hosting nicole mccabe at um east gleason pizza and i just went to watch because i'm like man fuck i haven't played like jazz and you know i haven't read done a standard through in like two years you know and the last time i did it was kind of embarrassing um and but of course you know the, the when you show up you're gonna play because the, the house band wants needs a break they want to go get a beer they want to eat you know so like any bass players hey there's one boom and um it uh I, I played fine i guess you know like charlie brown was there or whatever and he's you know he's like oh yeah sound good like whatever man um but uh what was the question why am i talking about this um jazz Oh, I was just talking, just the, uh, the the freedom of it. Oh, improvisation. And the improvisation. Yeah. And so I love a lot of the aspects of like traditional jazz music, but I've never found the time or the the personal energy to like become part of that scene. And it's a scene, man. Like, you know, these guys were talking about it last the last few episodes. But you got to be shedding. You need to know all these tunes. You need to, you know, your finger dexterity, like your hand strength to play those like... I mean, they played, what they play last night? Cherokee, the old Charlie Parker tune. And, um, I mean, he was burning. This bass player was burning. <laughs> Man, I couldn't do that. My <laughs> fingers would catch on fire, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, so the the quintet has, like, a lot of those, the aspects that I really like about jazz, but without any of the standard repertoire or kind of that um, scene. So the chord changes are a little more unusual, and they're, they're what sounds good to me personally. I'm not like trying to um, like use the canon at all or like this is, you know, rhythm changes. We're going to do this. It's just like whatever. Um, it's all a very organic process for me to come up with that stuff. So it's outside of a lot of the traditions of jazz, um, but also in, you know, incorporates uh, so much of, of what kind of modern jazz is. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I can even hear like the bluesy stuff come through you know on a song like better broken mm. where like Corey's Corey's really Dude. going off on that song <laughs> like that song breaks down yeah like there's yeah. like this pretty heavy breakdown to it and mm -hmm. yeah that's a moment on that record that like really sticks out to me it's Corey one of my, such a shredder man dude he's he's so gnarly um but I'm sure you heard me talk to Ian a little bit about yeah, it. Yeah. I really appreciated getting to kind of see the contrast of seeing what your band can do with without a Corey in the band. And I think it, it becomes a thing Man. of no person is, is bigger than the band kind of thing in that mentality. Yeah, I don't like playing without Corey at all. Um, but it is like the songs are simple enough that they don't necessarily... And there's certain songs I won't play without him, but... Uh, you don't have to lean on on his harmony because it's in the bass and it's in the horn lines, and like he was Ian was saying, it opens it up for interpretation a little bit more, right? And gives the horn players more freedom um, to kind of play whatever the fuck they want, yeah, <laughs> and without with less consequences. Um, but then you know, I did I think I did two gigs or three gigs without Corey, but then the next gig when he comes back, it's like oh yeah, yeah. Don't get, get me wrong, <laughs> like uh yeah, definitely want Corey yeah. to be there. No, I just thought it was cool that 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 you could still kind of well he's hard to replace man like and i i on one of those gigs i had reached out to a couple of guitar players i hit neil up and he was he's so busy with the school that he's running and everything um 
and uh, like Sam Eisenmeyer's and stuff like that. And when people are busy, I'm like, well, I'm not just going to keep like calling people. I'll just do it. Figure it out. And it's a sound that I like. Like I love that old William Parker quartet. Um, I love Ornette Coleman's work. So like I, I dig that sound of the, the kind of chordless quartet a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I don't know, then you kind of have these other parameters to force creativity too without oh, one yeah. of the players. Absolutely. Which is very cool. Yeah. That's fun. Um, are you someone that way more enjoys kind of the the band leader role opposed to being just a, a, a side player or do you enjoy both equally for different reasons i like them i like them both for different reasons um the being a side like a true side man is is wonderful right not talking about it i'm not huge anymore on on like uh, a collaborative project i don't think i'm gonna take a break from that kind of thing where you're like mutually invested in the the final product I like going in and being like, what do you want me to play? All right. And I'm going to play it like with my stamp on it for sure and hopefully get some improv in there. Um, but I like supporting in that way uh, just for the the excitement and kind of enjoyment of it. Leading the band is more, um, I mean, it's like ego-wise, it's a little more satisfying, right? Because you're you're putting your name on something and you get to shape where it goes and what it looks like but then you have the downside of having to to book and organize and you know i'm spending like 10 hours a week on photoshop and like yeah like there's all those like additional responsibilities that like yeah isn't making the music yeah but it's still fun like i love the art stuff like i did all the the album cover for this new record i did and um, and making these like promo videos now and uh, the flyers. I love all that stuff. Like that's, that's my jam too. So yeah. Have you always been like pretty visually, uh, into creating always, things? I've always dabbled. Yeah. I've always had like a notebook with my, you know, like vaguely tribal scribbles and stuff. Like yeah. That, you know, also you're responsible for creating the coolest set lists that I've ever seen. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know. I'm sure like you have a few of those like posted on your Instagram or yeah, something somewhere, but you, you are known to make some pretty, pretty special things to like commemorate nights. And I think that's, I think that's really cool, man. I think that probably, uh, I don't know when you invest more time into something, I think you appreciate it more or you, uh, you know really put the work in when you're yeah. doing things like that and and it shows how much you love that project i think you know the funny thing is i've only made one of those for the the quintet because i'm so busy with the rest of the other for stuff sure. you know, getting all the sheet music printed and uh making the flyer and stuff but i'm gonna do one for this release show i'm gonna get back on that because yeah. i love it's like four hours the morning of the show you know and it, you just have your coffee and you put some jazz on and you're just like hand copying these set lists and adding like little decorations i did like this for jack london the prize jack london show i did um like a reproduction of a jack london uh short stories collection like table of contents when like watercolored it and everything <laughs> to make it look like old faded paper <laughs> just going it's fun, in man. it's fun yeah no nah, that's killer dude uh, my pizza slice was pretty the epic pizza slice <laughs> was next level dude that was that was killer yeah um last year you did this uh this fiddler on the roof mm. performance mm -hmm. 
what inspires you to do something like that? Oh, man. Well, I'm a huge fan of musical theater. Um, and Fiddler, I've played. That's the other uh, kind of formative thing that happened to me in high school is I played pit band with my mom. So my mom was playing flute and I was playing bass. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, in like the high school production. So I did, my first one was The Wiz, which is, you know, The Wiz? Yeah. Uh, and then, um, which I had like no business playing. I was not funky enough to play <laughs> that show at all. It was like a real lesson. Um, the Wiz, then Fiddler on the Roof. I've done like Guys and Dolls and Sugar and, uh, and a bunch of other stuff. But I've done Fiddler two other times. I did the Full Monty, the musical, which was tons of fun. Um, but, uh, so Fiddler's always just stuck with me as, uh, and it was like a very special time in my life too. I think I was in 11th grade. Um, and so all my friends were on stage and we're like doing cast parties and like, it was that musical theater has like a magical feeling to it. Dude. Right. And it's, it's like a bubble. It's like outside of the real world. I think even like, uh, maybe just theater in general. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, obviously when you do like the musical theater, that is that, that element where there's like those two groups colliding too and and that that group becomes even bigger Mm -hmm. but but just the theater vibe in general is 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 like its own bubble its own world inside that theater room it's kind of wild it is wild um (laughs) and it so something about like being in love with one of the girls who was on stage you know like that high school romance or whatever um and just the tragedy of that musical or whatever and it's just great music always stuck with me i've always had multiple copies of that show um and uh, you know i have probably three different versions of it on record and i bought like the box set that has all like them sending the tapes back and forth to each other harnick and and bach as they're writing the music and and shit um and so for some reason I was like, well, this show's around Christmas. It's like four days before Christmas. I should do like a holiday show, but I fucking hate holiday music. Um, or at least I, I pretend to. Um, <laughs> it's part of, it's part of uh, Chris's uh, persona. <laughs> That's right. He pretends to hate holiday music. No, but, uh, it's a charming quality. <laughs> well, another tangent. Um, my, my father's mother or my father's family had had for years this epic Christmas get-together. And, and part of the tradition was, I mean, you had these cool little sausages. It was like a brunch thing. Very nice. Cocktail weenies and barbecue sauce and, like, the crock pot. Um, big old punch punch bowl of whiskey sours that everybody would get all saucy on <laughs> and, like, start berating each other. Um, but it, And then everything settled down, and towards the end of the, the party... We'd gather around. My, my grandmother and my Aunt Joan would play piano forehands. Uh, my Uncle Bob would pull out his rusty old accordion. My dad's playing trombone. I was playing bass or trumpet. Um, my cousin Mike would like play guitar. This whole family band thing. And then there'd be like hymnal kind of things, like little uh, folders with the lyrics to like Good King Wenceslas and Silent Night and all this shit. And there'd be sleigh bells and everybody would be playing stuff. And so I, I have this like deep fondness for for those Christmas songs. Uh, like I was listening to King Wenceslas the other night, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no joke. <laughs> Pulled it up on yeah, YouTube. Dude, and uh, anyway, so I wanted to do this holiday show, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to play any holiday tunes, right? Yeah. Because it's corny. And how cool can you really get on short notice? Or not short notice. This is like September. And I was like, fuck it. Let's you know, for some reason, fiddle around the roof, like. Makes me think of Christmas, which is whatever, man. But I was like, "Fuck it, let's do it." And I'd been wanting to do, funnily enough, been wanting to do a version of the Dream forever because 
amazing song, you know. But you know, the Frumacera comes down from the sky and is like, you know, ripping twelve eight thing. It'd be super cool. So I was like, ah, oh, you know, I got halfway through arranging that. And then I was like, oh, well, I'll do like all my favorite tunes. It ended up being like eight tunes, right? So I'm like, all right. I thought it would be easy. It was like fifty hours of work to arrange these eight tunes for Quintet. Uh, and then I never even got to the dream, so I still, <laughs> I still haven't played that. Maybe maybe I'll do that this Christmas. That's awesome, man. And that's how I, like Alexander got in the band, kind of, was on that fiddlership. Because he, I met him accidentally when we had got double booked at the Pariah's rehearsal space, and he was practicing in there. And we jammed, and I was like, fuck, I need to play with this guy. He's that dude shreds. Dude, he shreds so hard. And, and, I he, love, and he's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I love Barra. Like Barra is one of my favorite drummers in town, and he plays on the the better the record, broken yeah. record. Yeah. And uh, but in the only performances I've seen mm-hmm. have been with Alexander. Yeah. So yeah. no, he ripped, dude. Yeah. Um, but I was that might have been the first show. He, that was the first show he played. So uh, Barra couldn't play, and so I I hit Alexander up, and I'm like, hey, I'm thinking about doing a few like fiddle around. I was only thinking about doing three at that point. Fiddle around the roof tunes. She's like, "Fuck yeah, I love fiddle around the roof. Let's do it." <laughs> and we like shot back and forth about what songs we want to do, and then I ended up boosting the list up to eight. Um, and he kills. We still play a few of those yeah. regularly, cause, just because they're they're jamming. Um, yeah, but that, I mean, it was just basically like I like to play music that I love, and so when I think about doing covers, I, I part of like my secret slogan for this band is is jazz without standards is how i think about it because i don't want to play any standards so if we're going to do a cut it's going to be like like we play a richard davis tune called dealing that's not in any of the real books and stuff like that um i did a mingus thing when andre st james passed away um that was a that was more of a standard but um i want to do covers that are fun and like i love fiddle around the roof so let's see what we can do you know i'm doing uh this halloween <laughs> we're playing at strum on the like november 1st which is Friday, so hopefully people will still be in spirit. But I want to do a Rocky Horror Picture Show, so I'm going to like arrange the whole fucking Rocky Horror Picture Show, and also make it a single release party somehow. Yeah, so, man. <laughs> like I dream a little bit too big. I'm a little too Slytherin uh, for my own good. That's where the cool <laughs> shit happens, though, <laughs> That's I right. think you know. And then, then you're taking cool chances, you yeah. know, doing doing that type of stuff. I think that's a, uh, I think that's rad that you still want to, you know. You want to play some covers, but you don't want it to be like in the traditional jazz fashion necessarily. Nah, but and I I just love in the same way that you know, and we'll 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 dive into this. We're gonna jump into a, a track off the the Broken Beats uh, version of the record. Yeah, that's uh that is now dropped. I guess if this episode yeah. is out on Yesterday. the twenty third today. today, yeah, it yeah, comes out today. Um, but you know those elements of uh, hip hop sampling. Mm-hmm. and whatnot and i just uh i love to watch somebody do a jazz cover of like a pop song and see how they mm-hmm. you know work the chords and stuff in there because it's yeah. you got to find it yeah it's not just always right there oh man have you have you heard our version of piggy by nine inch nails yet no oh, it's so fucking <laughs> it's up on youtube actually um but that's a tune where like i'm creating guitar tracks right or guitar parts from like white noise patches on a synth so it's like and i'm trying to like pitch those and figure out what chords will work under the melody and stuff it's it's a ton of fun it's a ton of fun it's like kind of stealing it from the bad plus um but they they're much more mathy about their covers i'm trying to do 
a, a pretty close reproduction of the original tune, uh, just like kind of mixing up where the harmony goes and kind of who plays what. But um, yeah, it's a ton of fun. Hell yeah. Well, uh, let's jump into this. We, we kicked off the episode with the, uh, the original version of Neighborhood Raccoons. And uh, we're going to jump into this remix version by the, uh, the powerful Neil Von Talley. Who is uh he's been on the program once before with uh with Blossom many moons ago. I think I think maybe in the forties. The episode <laughs> episode forties. Nice. I don't know whereabouts, but uh yeah, this is uh a really cool take on this song. So we're gonna jump into this off the uh the Broken Beats record, the the new Frank Irwin Quintet remix record. Check it out. track is ridiculous dude um (laughs) definitely gives me some of those katronada vibes and shit like a cool take on that shit 
I don't know what you're talking about. You don't know about Catronata? No. <laughs> He's a cool producer. Oh, I like cool. him quite a bit. And uh, yeah, some of that gives me those vibes. But yeah, like when he hits that, that up-tempo shit, mm-hmm. it's crazy. It is crazy. It gets me jumping around the room a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And uh, when, did, when did you kind of come up with the idea to create this version of this oh, record? Oh, man. Um, it was right after uh, I released the the original and uh it's actually credit goes to ben martins actually because he was really into the record and uh, loved that tune better broken he's like man send me the stems for this i want to remix this like you know this would be super cool and so I'm like, oh yeah sure whatever ben you know i'll get you those and then i forgot about it for a minute and um he brought it up again at some point and that night, that same night that I, oh yeah, we like played it. I think we played a game. Um, and he asked me about it. And then that night, I went out to see Corgi and Bass uh, release their first uh, those mixtapes, and was sitting with Benja. I was like, hey man, like uh, thinking about doing this remix thing. Ben got me thinking about it. you interested. And he's like, fuck yeah. And then I was like, all right, two down. And then I talked to Alex and I talked to uh, Andre, and um. And then sat on it for a bit, and I was like, "Yeah, whatever, I'll do it." And so I came up with like a, you know, a pitch, and I had those four guys, and then I just started cold calling people, and like Andre was giving me people's numbers and stuff. So like, like Neil, know, that's how I got Neil. Because you don't even, you, you no, never we've never met. met. We've never met. He seems like a super chill guy. I look forward to meeting him at the release <laughs> party. You know what I mean? Well, like, what's that process like when you're you're just sending over stems yeah. to a track, and are you? Did you kind of know which songs were going to work for this? Or did you send them the record and they yeah, picked on their own? Pretty much. Originally, I wanted I wanted one remix of every song. And so I was trying to do it that way. And then it kind of just fell into place that people were like drawn to certain tunes. And I said, yeah, go ahead, whatever. Um, so there's a couple versions of Angel's Rest. There's a couple versions of Neighborhood Raccoons, um, which is cool because they're totally different right. takes on that material. Um yeah, and I just, I would send this, I had this, like, form email that, like, I would change the name on the top, you know what I mean? And I was just, like, send it out. Um, and I I gave it a ton of freedom, as you can probably tell, um, and had, like, this idea of what I was going to get back, you know, in my head. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah, it's going to sound like this, it's going to be super cool. And then I'd get them in and I'd be like, whoa, <laughs> never thought of that. Um, and they're, they're very different. Like, I had... Um, and part of that is because the way it was recorded, we recorded it live, so there's tons of bleed on all the, on all the stems, which is so it led lent itself to more of this kind of chop, or flipping the tune rather than like a remix where you're like pulling out the horn track and layering it over something else, right? You know, kind of taking things apart. You couldn't really pull it apart. Wasn't um, that isolation on the track? No, there. it was not the isolation. <laughs> the bass was isolated. That was it. Um, hmm. so half of those two, half of the remixes are pretty much just chopped. Like on a, on a, a lot of people use the, the SP three or threes or whatever, the rolling machines, um, and just kind of chopped them up and rearranged them, um, because it was hard to pull things out. But, uh, it, it makes for like, I'm super stoked with the way it turned out and I love putting it in when I'm driving. Like I've, I've been sitting on the CDs for like a month and a half, um, waiting for the records to get finished. And uh, so I've, I've listened to it quite a bit, and I think it flows well. It's like not a jazz record at all, um, no. but it kind of is. Uh, 
like tangentially, I guess. Um, so I think it's cool because I think people who like the original record might be into this. Um, but also it's kind of just a, like a, a mixtape for like the hip hop community and the beat community. Yeah. I mean, it's jazz in that sense that like jazz is hip hop and yeah. hip hop, you know, yeah. it's jazz. Well, especially these days. Holy shit, man. Yeah. And, um, I don't know, man. It's, it's just, it's just cool to see everybody's take on this thing and the and just the the roster that is on oh, <laughs> like man. on the record is yeah. is uh, it's a smoke show man it is a smoke show <laughs> um i'm also like very very stoked that with the exception of two all folks that like all all dick hill presents alumni on this oh, on yeah, this man. fucking thing it's just all all the people like dre is um one of my favorite musicians oh, in the city yeah. like he he blows my mind the way that he approaches his instrument mm-hmm. and and his, his mind for music and man i need to do a brown calculus episode or yeah. even just a brown calvin episode <laughs> um in the future but um yeah he blows my mind and him and um melter Mm-hmm. are two musicians in the city that i'll go see whatever they're doing mm-hmm. like if one of them is like hey i'm gonna play this show with this new band or whatever yeah, i'm yeah. probably gonna go check it out because mm-hmm. they're just fun fun yeah, to watch like and they're arbiters just, of taste yeah just yeah. very next level and and then to get you know the the cloud castle mm-hmm. join on there uh it's is Les Moss, Les Moss. I don't. I don't know. So they're part of its future time. So do you, I'm you're not, not hip familiar, to that stuff. Like right? I just started checking. It's so good. This this stuff out. So I'm I'm not really like super familiar. So talk to me about. Well, that. I found out about them through um, those Hive Mind Mondays we were doing for a minute. Yeah. Um and, uh the Pariahs were kind of in charge of booking the first one, I think, and. Um, I think that's when they played the first one. It was us, Les Moss, and then like Shirtmane and uh, Fontaine was supposed to play. Fontaine got like meningitis or something and, and couldn't end up playing. So, um, it was there's just the three of us, I think, unless someone else jumped on. But they're just a they're just a sick beat making duo. Um, this guy uh, AED um, and Indigo are the two guys that are, that that do the beats. Um, they've been around for a while doing other stuff. I'm not as familiar as what they, what they've done in the past, but, um, there's really nice dudes, uh, very responsive, um, and just chill beats. Like, it's like that kind of that I've, there's like a, uh, I forget the name is vaporwave a thing. That's not what that is. I don't know all the names of things, all these the days, terminology but for yeah, like this, um, like, you know, new dreams limited. You ever hear that shit? I have not. It's just like super chill super chill uh beats but yeah and, I'm, um, I'm definitely down with like all that that chill wave yeah like whatever the fuck it is it's it's great yeah no i'm done um so they made that beat and then there was so much space on it it's like this really contemplative like airy thing i was like man i bet i could get someone else in here on this and i was thinking of having uh like maybe some like super uh out there like saxophone and so i i hit up um no Bernstein, but he he couldn't do it, and then ran into uh, Benja and and Fiji at the Cl- uh, Cloud Castle show at uh, Goodfoot, and um, 
Fiji had heard Benja's remix and was like, man, I want to get on that. Like, let me spit on this. And that didn't work out. And then I was like, well, I got these other beats here. Let's see if either of these Les Moss beats like speak to you. And he's like, oh, I want to get on this. <laughs> and it was Angel's Rest. So I was like, he's like, what are you thinking about? And we kind of worked together on the, the thematic material a little bit and kind of how it would flow and stuff. And then he just wrote the sickest verse, nicest verse. Uh, sent that and then went to Meltzer's. He recorded it at Meltzer's. And then they sent it back to Les Moss and they remixed it. And it just kind of like happened like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you got half the hives on this thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, the animals remix <laughs> the is, animals. is nasty. So good. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Meltzer's a beast. He's ridiculous, man. Um, yeah. So there were there there were some tunes then maybe you were a little more hands on with than than others like the neo yeah. the, the neo van Talley track that's just something you send and he sends you something back and that's yeah, pretty he sent much me a couple the, rough drafts okay. you know but um no it's just like i i basically said do whatever you want you know um and there was some little feedback on uh, probably angel's rest i had the most uh interaction with because of the uh kind of collaboration after the fact and putting that all together um, but it's all these guys like you know, I'm responsible for the source material and kind of the, the the act of getting it all together. But these are it's really uh, it's really like a compilation album. It's not a, a really a Frank Aaron quintet album, and I actually can't even release it as one. So it's it's going to be out there as various artists on the streaming sites and shit. So and then um you know all these guys are going to have copies of the record and they can sell them at their own shows and stuff. So hopefully it like gets out there and gets around and. Yeah, it's a it's a cool collab record. That, <laughs> it's, I it's think weird, it's like good. Man, yeah. It's kind of good for everybody though. And you know, you you talked about how Ben Martin's our uh, Portland Pinecones alum. That's right. You know, our our, Ace our fellow the clone, the uh, <laughs> the superstar, the best hockey player in Portland that I know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, ben Martin's kind of sparks the idea for this project of, yeah. of ha ha saying hey let me remix one of these and uh you know ben ben's track is a is a an amazing oh, take and i think that's really cool for someone like him who you know is a little more off the radar yeah than, than some of the other bigger names that are on the record mm -hmm. so i think that's that's really rad for you know him to have that opportunity to have his name on something like that which oh, is absolutely. really cool well and everybody's on equal footing on that record you know what i mean um and they're all they're all putting their stamp on it uh ben's remix is is one of my favorites on the record like the after like the glass breaks in the middle and it like comes back together there's like that dung 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 the builds and when the sax it's, when that sax loop comes in like it gets me wild yeah i love it so much and he put so much time in on that and like hit up uh friends and like producers that he worked with and and uh wanted to work with him. like hey take a look at this what can i do how do i do this thing and like really like just built it over months uh, and then Teal actually uh, mixed that track. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, so also, then he gave it to Teely. And also, <laughs> fellow Portland Pinecone, assistant captain. General Badass. Oh, man. And he, you fellow know, full circle boy. shit with him, man. Uh, you know, he's in that band Trajectory. He They're rad, band. They're dude. awesome. But he also fixes machines. So he's, like, fixed Meltzer's 
uh, SP before and like does like MPC repairs and stuff. It's all so that like, acid, dude. All these <laughs> yeah, it's it's fucking, the microdosing. It's all that acid. He, he <laughs> PC shit only in wires and things, dude. Like that's why he scores so many goals. That's right. <laughs> uh, like it's that acid. <laughs> oh man. So a lot of just like a lot of friends have touched this record. You know what I mean? It's cool. Um, and I reached out to so many more uh producers that just like it it couldn't work out you know or for whatever reason it didn't um and so this like this group is it's kind of cool because i i cast a wide net and like these are the people who really hooked onto it and who i think you know were like oh yeah this is a cool project um and kind of it's like a labor of love in that way which is good yeah do you uh kind of foresee this if you're going to keep putting out records do you think this is kind of maybe like a natural thing that will happen for like future releases too funny you should mention that dan um <laughs> i got someone working on a, like a chip tune remix of my new single right now hell yeah um so i'm going to be releasing the single hopefully november 1st at our next show um and it's going to be well, i really want to do a seven inch but i don't know if i'll have the funds for it but uh just an a side b side with the with the single and then a remix of the single so um, I like the idea because um, I do, you know, I'm not the, the world's biggest hip hop head by any stretch, but um, I enjoy electronic music and what people uh, can do with those machines. Like it's all fucking Greek to me, but um, I love watching people turn um, like acoustic noise into digital noise and, and changing things that way. So I like it, and it's a way to it's a way to expand your audience a little bit, and it's a way to um, vary the record, uh, make it make it more hip. Like jazz has a has an interesting rap, you know, um, and so it's a way maybe to 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 keep it more hip. Um, kind of bridge, yeah, the gap yeah. a little bit. And Absolutely, yeah, like you said, I mean, and get your friends out there, casting you know I mean? a wider net too for yourself. No, absolutely, uh, and. Um, yeah, so my friend uh, Lucio Barbarino, who's also from Syracuse, New York, uh, we used to live together. He makes um, beats uh, as Crosshatch and then has a new, like, chiptune, like, 8-bit record called Visions of the Three that's fucking super dope because he basically, like, created these video game characters in a video game story and then made the soundtrack to that video game, um, like, Nintendo style. And that's it's, wild. It's amazing. So I'm going to have him do... Uh, one of those like eight bit uh, remixes, yeah. That's so cool too. Like in in the uh, you know the joys of the digital age are that you can do those things very easily of just sending your things to people oh, all man. over the world, so anybody yeah. can you know produce one of these these remixes and. Hey, we're just getting started here, Dan. Yeah. And that's cool, man. That you could even just. You you could open it up to anyone by just posting like hey i uh i posted the stems for this track you know anybody that yeah. wants to take a crack at you that's know that's making a remix idea. that's uh please please feel free to do so you know that's yeah that's rad but um well what i want to do on the next record is um you have you heard the new micaiah mccraven album i have not i'm it's, not it's i'm not called universal i'm Beauty. not familiar with who that person is okay I, you um, got i'll i'll show you later cool <laughs> um, but he does this really cool thing where uh in his album was like top of the kmhd list last year and like universally kind of recognized as being fucking amazing um but he he recorded it in four different cities with four different bands uh 
in what this is how I imagine the process went. I haven't read anything, interviews or anything about how he actually did it, but I think then he takes those stems, right? And it not even he doesn't pull it apart at all, but what he does is it'll be just your regular fucking killing jazz record and then all of a sudden it just loops like it gets to this super cool rhythm or groove and then it loops for like 30 seconds where it's just a bar over and over and it's like a very intense kind of hip-hop like live jazz uh, looping right and then it busts out of that like into the next improv session and like goes back and forth between being sampling itself and expanding so it's like expanding and contracting and like doing things to your mind dude it's it's really good so um that was kind <laughs> kind of the, i got this idea before i heard the record but that's kind of what i thought these remixes would be like that people would just kind of like take little sections uh. and loop them and stuff and i was like fuck that's kind of what i was going for um but it got me thinking well i don't want to cop what he's doing right so for the next record i think what i do want to do is pull in um I'm gonna I'm gonna ask uh, Andre uh, Meltzer and Omari um, because they do a thing together as the three of them. But like, do the recording nice and separate, right? Get isolation on everything. Have the record and then pass it off for them to like tweak sections and maybe do like some synth interludes or something like that, or otherwise like manipulate the music so that you're rather than doing a jazz record and a remix record, you're like twisting the jazz record in a way that um is more digital in the middle or something like that you know it's yeah. a very it's a baby baby idea um like less sampling yeah less of, sampling and chopping of yeah things and just more yeah like adding some of their like dirty synth stuff that they yeah. do and stuff like that uh, i haven't talked to him about it yet so we'll see but that'll probably be next summer that i do that shit so this <coughs> this process though having these songs remixed revisioned definitely change your lens on composing music for the future oh uh, a little bit yeah a little bit like um a little bit not so much the material but the process a little bit yeah it's got me thinking of different ways to collaborate and um the fact that it kind of worked and I haven't released it yet, right? Or it'll be, it's released today, so we'll see how well it works and how well it's received, even. Um, but uh, it's kind of opened my mind to to taking more risks. Like, I just did this uh, dance collabor- collaboration with Mia O'Connor-Smith um, and a bunch of her friends, and I wrote, like, we used Angel's Rest, and then I wrote two new pieces for this, like, 15-minute improvisational dance suite. And we were pre- performing that shit up at the Headwaters Theater on like a Tuesday at five for a, it was a fundraiser for me as dance school. Yeah, um, and it was amazing. It was just like the most beautiful shit um, because you're. I mean, it's the dancers are reacting to your music and you're reacting to their dancing, and it's like adds this kind of like third partner to the improvisation. Um, and I like a seven piece band like Dre played and Nicole McCabe played sax and That's then my regular five guys. And it was it was amazing, and so um, just adding a foreign dynamic to the yeah, thing yeah. that just shakes everything up. Yeah, and me is incredible, and 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 everybody who danced on that was was great. So that's in the cards too. I'm, I want to do a, a full length 
like ballet for lack of a better term but like a a narrative dance piece to like this ursula k Le Guin novel that i'm really into so um like i said slithering slithering out over here uh and trying to do some like really ambitious uh, i love it dude i'm about it and that's i think that's what i meant earlier um maybe i was having like trouble like framing the question but you you have like this like pretty pretty ambitious creative mind you know to do some wild shit i feel like but you also appreciate just walking into a studio and playing the parts because that's like what i meant by like that balance of Mm, mm -hmm. you know like the structure and the creativity oh i get it seems that you have like a a good balance of both of that or you appreciate both of those things and and really like dive into the creativity and and thinking about some next level shit you know yeah because you get to do it on your own terms and it comes to you when it comes you know i mean uh so much so many of my ideas come walking the dog you know after i've you know uh, you got my mind right, so yeah. to speak. Gotten tuned up. Gotten tuned up, and then I, I have this. I live near, right near the Willamette River, so I get to walk down to the river and like, just like the, the pace of my footsteps, right, and kind of the sounds might make me hum a little something that might turn into something, or so yeah, just shit'll just pop into my head, man. Like, wow, I want to do this crazy ass thing, and then, and then you chip away at it for a couple months until it, it uh, seems real. But that's, I've always been a dreamer like that. Like when I go to, I used to go to the symphony like every week and uh, had the subscriber or whatever. And like the, anytime I hear orchestral music, I just get super inspired to like do something a little different, uh, which isn't really on either of these records. Like I don't think I've gotten there yet, but I'm like inching towards um, a more orchestral kind of uh, traditional sound. Um, which if I do the ballet, that'll certainly have that because it's going to be like, there's going to be a string section and bassoon and oboe and flute and shit and a voice and, and then the band. And, um, so I'm always trying to branch out a little bit and expand things. Is it the like level of thought that goes into an orchestral arrangement that, that you're drawn to? No, it's, it's the palette. It's the, it's the size of the palettes, how many colors you have. Um, like I'm kind of scared of actually doing it. (laughs) Like the actual process scares me, but having more sounds to play with and being able to like, just, just paint different colors, man. Like the, the guitar, the guitar sax trombone kind of setup we have right now. I mean, it's a very distinctive sound. And so there's some things you can't, like I've written pieces, brought them to the, that sounded great in my head and on paper and on my bass and, in the music notation software. And then they're just not for that combo. You know, they're not for that instrumentation. And so you have to kind of whittle things away that like, no, nah, that's really a string part. You know, that's really for cello and, and something else, or that's really bassoon. That's not a guitar. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and that's fine, but I'm kind of saving all those things up for the future. Right on, man. Yeah. Well, I dig the the remix record quite a bit, man. Yeah, Better thanks, Broken, man. Or, uh, Broken Beats, Broken Beats, Broken Beats. The remix of Better Broken, That's which right. just the Better Broken record is is also I would I encourage folks to you know go check 
check that thing out because I, I like that record a lot. And I think it's because it is like a non-traditional take mm. and I can hear a lot of different influences in it. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, so I, I like that quite a bit and, uh, you know, I encourage folks to go check out this, this album release show is going to be quite the banger. That's right. Uh, you have it stacked out with pretty much everybody that's on the on the record. Everybody that can make it. Yeah. 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 So, so. And the can I talk about that yeah, real quick? Please do. So it's going to be uh, August twenty fourth tomorrow night. If you're if you're up on these podcasts and listen right away, but it's a Mississippi pizza, and the way we're structuring it is, I think, going to be super cool. Uh, where there there shouldn't be any pause in the music the whole night. So what's going to happen is like. Ben's going to go up first and he's going to do his his set like a short set and then the last track he plays is going to be Better Broken. We're going to hit the stage, we're going to play Better Broken, right? While the next producer sets up and then we'll play another song that segues into their set that they did on the record. And they're going to start with that. So like uh, then Meltzer will come up and he'll do um uh Just an Animal, right? Cuz we're going to play Just an Animal, then he plays it. Then he does a set, then he plays Angel's Rest remix, and then we get up, play Angel's Rest, so on and so forth. And then Brown Calculus is just going to like dump on the whole thing in the middle. And then we're going to play some tunes at the end. So it's, it should be really, really fun. That uh, creativity. Again, ambitious. Yeah, night of no, music, that's man. killer, dude. I, I yeah. love the thought behind it all. Yeah. And, um, yeah, man. Like Ben's already texting me about the segue, like making <laughs> sure that we get, we get it just right. Yeah. Um, yeah, dude, I appreciate the fuck out of this hang yeah it was fun. Getting, is it, it was over like, already i mean yeah, and i could talk another couple of hours yeah um no it's cool to just get to to geek out on music stuff with you mm. you know i've um never really gotten to have the the dive on the journey where it all comes oh, from yeah you know uh, that was a that was a snippet um but you know we get to play hockey soon playing playing with the cones that's right it's also uh a joy of getting to hang with you it's playing playing some puck with you yeah you know just crushing it out there you bring like that same that that same heat i feel like that same (laughs) energy to the stage as you do to the ice to the ice yeah Yeah. well you think so man go for it i do go for it but then you like i watch a video of myself and i'm moving so slow but i'm out there like trucking yeah you're doing it There's nothing like a, a Chris Frank goal celebration. Ah, you can hear it from a mile away. I'm so excited. It's so good. I love it. It's a, it it brings me great joy to get to witness those oh, things. Man. And and I'm gonna be sending you some 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 really nice dimes out there. Oh, this, I can't this, this wait season, for the dimes. I'm I'm passing pucks. Oh, you know, it's a whole no, new world, you know, man. It's gonna be wild. I'm gonna be out there doing the damn thing. Yeah. But uh yeah, dude, I'll put all the links in the episode notes so people can uh, can keep up with whatever you're doing as well as, like, the release of this record. Yeah, um, sounds good. And... Oh, I don't know. We also didn't mention this is coming out on vinyl. Yeah, um, And both, both records will be available on vinyl on Saturday. So, and then, you know, out in the world. Pretty exciting. Um, you can count one of each sold, sir. <laughs> I would love to add that to my collection That's here. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, dude, thanks for thanks for coming through and thanks for and, having me and hanging. I I really do appreciate the music quite a bit, and thanks, I'm just man. stoked to stoked to hear the all all of your ambitious ideas come to <laughs> uh, come to life and, and and check out all these things. So soon, uh, we're playing it out 
we got to play it out with Ben Ben Martin's version of Better Broken. I yeah, think. you know, absolutely. He inspired the project, and uh, yeah, this is this is uh, Ben Martin's take on Better Broken. Um, that's it. That's the Jelly Jams, everybody. Episode one seventy six in the books. You know what you got to do though. It's a program. He needs no instructions, my friends. He he finds apartments on his own, no additional directions, and he knows how we end the show. It is a program, the Frank Irwin Quintet. Check it out. Chris Frank, thank you for joining me once again, my friend. My pleasure. Thank you, Dan. And uh, that's it, everybody. That's the Jelly Jams. We will catch you on the flip side, Portland.
Ben Dicken, it's a program. <laughs>